This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. Hello and welcome to this, the first straight ahead of 2021. And the show is brought to you in association with London's leading music venue, the 606 Club. Our opening track this week was from Cat Eaton, an artist you'll be able to watch on a live stream from the club this coming Sunday. And you can get all those details over on the website. And uh, Sheffield born, but now living in London, she's a singer songwriter who has also toured and supported Jules Holland, amongst others. So somebody you're going to want to watch on the live stream this weekend. Let's get on with some classic jazz now for Mel Torme and his version of Coming Home. I'm 
coming home, baby, now. I'm coming home now, right away. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm sorry now I ever went away. Every night and day I go and stay. I'm coming home now. Come on home. Coming home, baby, now. You know I'm waiting here for you. Coming home now, real soon. Coming home, baby. Now. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm coming home, I know I'm overdue. Since you went away, expect me any day now, real soon. Coming home now. I'm coming home, baby. Now you know I'm praying every night, and everything is gonna be fine. I'm coming home, baby. Now I want to feel your home time. Expect to see me now anytime. That's a track I will never tire of listening to. Mel Tomei and Coming Home. So our guest on the show this week is pianist, composer and BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year, Deshnall Gordon. We'll be hearing from him very shortly. But as you'll hear him mention during the interview, one of his heroes is Horace Silver. And we're about to hear from Horace now with To Beat or Not To Beat. Thank you. 
show this week we shall be hearing from artists such as Jasmia Horn, Nubaya Garcia, Sara Downing and one of the favourites of the club, saxman Dave O'Higgins and he's next to play on the show this week with Nothing to Lose. Thank you. 
until we meet this week's special guest, pianist and BBC's young jazz musician of the year, Deshnal Gordon. These interviews started just under a year ago, and at that point I thought we'd run them for a few weeks until the gig scene picked back up again. But what do you know? Here we are, virtually a year on, and we're still in lockdown. So the good news is I've got plenty of artists already recorded to bring you, and I'm looking for more great names to bring you on straight ahead. And as per last year, the last show of every month will be Joe Harrop and I. We've uh, already had some discussions. We're in production and deciding what great music we're going to be bringing you on the last Wednesday of this month. So hopefully you can join us then and hear what we've come up with. But one of the artists that we had on when Joe was with me last year was singer Georgia Mancho. And here she is with Just In Time. Just in time, I found you just in time. Before you came, my time was running low. I was lost, the losing dice were tossed My bridges all were crossed, nowhere to go Now you're here, now I know just where I'm going No more doubt or fear, I found my way For love came just in time, I found you just in time and changed my lonely life that lovely day. Just in time, I found you just in time before you came. My time was low. I was lost. The losing dice were tossed, my bridges all crossed, nowhere to go. Now you're here, now I know just where I'm going, no doubt, no fear, I, I, I found my way. For love came just in time, I found you just in time And changed my lonely life that lovely
just in time I found you just in time Before you came my time was running low I was lost A losing dice were tossed My bridges all were crossed Nowhere to go Now you're here Now I know just where I'm going No more doubt or fear I found my way All love came just in time You found me just in time And changed my lonely life that lovely And so from Georgia Man Show, we now go to an artist that I first saw at the club around about 18 months ago, Eileen Hunter. She released a self-titled album a few years ago. It's a real great listen. If you've not checked it out, go and find it. It's available to stream and download and buy, of course. Now resident up in Scotland, there's uh, a track we've not played on the show before called I Miss the Sky.
Our live stream this Saturday evening from 8 o'clock will be trumpeter James Davison along with trombonist Callum Al. They're bringing their quintet to the club. I love the name of it. It's called Quintetatet. If you've not yet created yourself an account, it's free, so to do. Just go over to the website, 606club.co.uk, create that account, and every time there's an artist you fancy watching from the comfort of your own living room. While the current restrictions in place, you can do that for basically the price of a pint of beer. So, last year, it seems weird saying that, in 2020, Callum Al recorded an album along with Mark Doffman and David Shire on their Big Colours Big Band album. This track features Callum along with Lucas Dodds and we're about to listen to Chet's Call.
OK, it's finally time we get to meet this week's special guest, pianist and BBC's Young Jazz Musician of the Year, Deshnal Gordon. If you uh, well, missed the show or haven't yet watched it, the finals are still available on BBC's iPlayer to watch on Catch Up. And if you love your jazz, and I'm guessing if you listen to this show, you probably do, you'll really enjoy it. It's a real good watch and you'll see uh, our guest this week in action. So we've got some tracks of Deshnal's to play during the course of the show. And we're starting off with a track called Movements. It was recorded live in 2018 as part of the EFG London Jazz Festival. And apart from Deshnal, it also features Zoe Pascal and John Jones. If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk Thank you. 
So our guest on the 606 Club Straight Ahead show this week is pianist, composer and BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year 2020, Deshnell Gordon. Deshnell, a very uh, warm welcome to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Looking forward to talking. Me too. So I think what we'll do is come to the big news later on in the interview. Uh, obviously, I just mentioned that you've won the very prestigious BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year. And we'll come around to that whole process a little bit later on. But was music always a big part of you as you were growing up at home? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, my mum played a lot of gospel music um, and my dad a lot of reggae music. So, yeah, I had a lot of music when I was younger. So I was always playing around the house, and so you had those influences coming through. And when I've heard you play, certainly the reggae influences do come through. Was it, yeah, always, yeah. Was it always piano that was uh, your first choice, or did you dabble with other instruments first? I did start with piano, but then I did start... I mean, when I was really younger, I messed about with drums, but it was just like I had a toy drum kit. I never really had lessons on. But I, my first instrument that I had proper lessons on was piano. So I had classical lessons when I was younger. And then around the age of 15, I started playing tennis saxophone. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't play it as much, but I'd like to bring it back up soon. But yeah, it's been a while since I played it. And you were classically trained initially, weren't you? Yeah, at the beginning, yeah. Yeah. And did, how do those talents translate as you begin to decide you want to explore the world of jazz? Does the background in classical training help? Yeah, it definitely helped in the beginning, but I can admit I didn't, it's not something that I gravitated towards when I was younger. I kind of did it because that was the lesson that I went to. Sure. Um, Your first teacher was Chris Wilson, am I right in saying? Yeah, that was yeah, that was my first jazz piano teacher. But my my first classical piano teacher was a lady called Mrs. Chandler. She, she's not alive anymore, but she was like in her eighties, and I was about ten years old. Those first influences really do have an effect on you, and clearly on you very greatly. And did you do the whole grade system? Did you go that far in the classical training? Yeah, I did. It. I didn't go that far. I think when I was younger, I went. I did a lot of like the kind of preparatory stuff, like a lot of the kind of introduction stuff. And uh, just at that time, it was very boring for me. So I, I think I stopped. I stopped having those classical lessons. And then I think I started having lessons with Chris Wilson for a little while. And then I had another teacher at secondary school called Steve Lodder. And um, yeah, from with him, I did some of the jazz grades, but I didn't. Even then, I wasn't that grade focused. I think I only went up to grade four, or think, grade four <laughs> or five. And what was the big, I'm assuming there was a, a major pivotal moment for you in your life when you first heard jazz or saw jazz and something resonated within you and you thought, that's for me. Yeah, the, the, that moment was when I was around think, 10 years old and I, I was watching a BBC4 documentary, which is Kind of odd because yeah. it's a weird channel to be on at that age. But I think I just was flicking through the channels and I saw the piano. And I was like, oh, I play piano. And I was hearing these sounds out of the instrument that I've never heard before. And I, yeah, I was hooked. I watched the whole thing. And I would, later on, maybe a few years later, I found out that that was Oscar Pieces. And I think, I think it was an interview with Andre Pruvin. Pruvin? Pruvin? Was that one of those? 
Yeah, he did a whole series of interviews, didn't he? I think him and Oscar actually did a, 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 a lot together. I, I remember them too, watching them, and I'm a good few years older than you, and I remember seeing those on TV. So what was it that really appealed to you about moving away from classical to jazz then? I've spoken to a number of musicians that have gone that route, and they kind of say it's the, uh, the freedom that jazz offers them, rather than just pure reading. It's that expression that comes through. Do you think that's what it was for you? Yeah, I think that was a big thing, just when the realisation that they were playing something that was of them and of that moment, and they're improvising and just expressing themselves. That really attracted me. So you're Hackney born and bred, a London boy, aren't you? So the school, you say, were very understanding of your desire to want to take music further. Yeah, I mean, the wider school was very academic-driven. It's like a, it was one of the first academies. Was this the Mossbourne Academy? Was that your school? Yeah. Academy yeah. In Hackney, yeah. yeah. So it was pretty strict school in terms of they were one of the of the newest one of the first academies back when academy started. So they would have been in like the fifth or sixth sixth year of being an academy when I got there. Mm-hmm. Like the head teacher, the guy called um, Sir Michael Wilshaw, he he's now the head of Ofsted, so you can tell right. how strict it was. Yeah, yeah. And was academia was very, your world, or were you not so hot academically? And it was always musically where you were gifted. I think in that school, I, I, I had no choice but to, to, to get good grades. Like it really was, even if he wasn't like that inclined, the, the school kind of, the way how it was just structured, he had, yeah. it made you get good grades regardless. So were you there all the way through to 18 with your A-levels? Yeah, so I stayed there from year 7 to year 13. A long and time. That is a long time. Not many people stay in one school all the way through. So, uh, which that's obviously the kind of age when you would have been auditioning for the conservatoires in London. I know you ended up at uh, the Trinity Laban, but did you try for the other two as well? I tried for Trinity and Academy. I got into Trinity and I got a reserve in, a, to, in Academy, but I just decided to go to Trinity. So, you've you just finished this year, haven't you, there? That was yeah, a three-year course, yeah. Four-year course. Four-year course. And was that in performance, jazz performance? Or? Yeah, jazz performance. Now, we'll get on to your, as I say, the, the award uh, with the BBC uh, Young Jazz Musician of the Year Award later on. But one thing that I've really garnered from watching you is, is your expression, your freedom, your timing and touch. You're, you're a very expressive player. So has composition always been something that interests you? Not really. Not really. Uh, uh, I was always more into just um, kind of copying, copying <laughs> the people that I like and, and playing a lot of just popular standards. I think any of those songs I was really into, I never, only recently it dawned on me that I should try and start doing my own sort of competition. It's never been, it's never been a thing for me for a long time. So influence, you mentioned Oscar Peterson as a young man before you headed off to the, uh, the Trinity. Who were the other big influences style-wise on you then? And early on, it was pianists like Horace Silver, um, Thelonious Monk, uh, Red Garland, yeah, guys like that. And what was the course like, did you find? Because I'm, I'm assuming that was probably your first time away from home. Did you stay at home and travel into the academy? or Yeah, for the first three years, actually, I, I commuted from Hackney. And that wasn't about, uh, you didn't find that a chore at all? That was, it was easy enough to do and still study well? 
it was fine if the lessons wasn't too early. <laughs> yeah. So what stage did you start gigging then? Were you gigging from a young age? Uh, also, uh, yeah, I was always playing in church, actually. That's another big part of, of how, and kind of how I developed the ability to play without music, without reading music. I played in church from maybe seven years old. And that was a, a regular weekly affair, was it? You were playing yeah. in church. And that obviously gave you performance confidence as well, I take it, playing in, a, in front of a good number of people each week. Yeah, I think when I look back at it, I think I didn't even look at it that way. I think I was young and, and the the pastor of the church, he played guitar and piano, so he showed me stuff. And I just I think I, at that age, I was just really quick at copying. So I was just copying him and then <laughs> I didn't really... You're extremely modest because you, you definitely have got, uh, there is a uniqueness about the way that you play and that can't all be from copying. But uh, so at Trinity, uh, what was the course actually geared towards then? Was it a pure performance course that it was geared at or was it also more of a technical side or a composition side or was there any of the uh, music tech in there? It was mostly a performance course. Um, it, it's, kind of, I kind of got into Trinity in two different areas. Was when I, when I joined, Simon Purcell was the head of oh, Trinity, yes. and he yeah. was head for for a very long time. So he had his kind of his course and uh, how he structured it. And then Hans Hollow came in uh, around my second year, and he's kind of changed up. But at the time, it was definitely more like a performance mm -hmm. performance. And but Hans has brought in some more compositional elements and. And stuff like that. So you've obviously graduated this year, so I'm working out that there was no graduation for you. No, my graduation's December 2021. <laughs> so presumably all your final performances you had to do down line, I take it, did you? Yeah, so it, it was yeah, it was a really odd. I mean, it might as well have been a three-year course, to be honest, because the last year I really didn't exist, really. We, mm. we had a few online lessons, but we had to send a final. I just, I, most of the gigs I do, I always record on my phone just so I can listen back. Mm -hmm. So I had a bunch of stuff from the last year. So I just sent that as my final. It's been the odd, I mean, students of your year are going to look back. It's a very unique position. I'm going to try and avoid all the other cliches <laughs> that have come out this year. But I mean, looking back, you're going to have one hell of a story to tell that you had no graduation. You just finished and kind of it disseminated into a great vast nothingness, didn't it? I guess you guys just went your own ways. And, and even then, obviously, all the, the contacts and colleagues that you'd met through the course at Trinity, you could only contact remotely, record remotely. It's the oddest thing. It's an odd time. To, to, it's already a difficult or risky choice to study you know, jazz piano at university. Then you have the hope that you, you you build up your skill set and there's at least a world out there for you to try and build a career from. But graduating into nothing was something I wasn't expecting. So presumably um, towards the, the last year, maybe year and a half while you were at Trinity, you were beginning to get some of the really lovely gigs in London, such as The Six, such as Ronnie's, I know you've played. Was that because of connections you made through the uh, conservatoire? No, I'd say mostly from... Just from going to jams, mm -hmm. I'd always go to Ronnie's jams around around second year. I was going to Ronnie's jams and 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 meeting lots of different people from around that scene. I think a lot of people at Trinity I've met, but they kind of influence influence me in the other in the other part of the jazz scene. 
And you're collaborating with a lot of various influences as well. I know you've collaborated with Cassie Kenoshi's uh, Mercury-nominated seed ensemble, haven't you? Sorry, no. I was just saying I play, play piano in, in that band. And, uh, and then with Mark uh, Kavuma, the trumpeter, he's got the, the Banger Factory, and you've collaborated with them too, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I've been playing with those two for a few years now, about maybe three years. And it's been, that's been amazing to, to develop with those guys. What do you like at self-promotion then? What do you like at trying to get your name out there? Does that come easy to you or is that something you find slightly more awkward? I mean, I've, the last, I mean, I guess my whole career up, up until now, I've never, I've always been more interested in, in being a sideman, just playing with people. And, and that's still a thing I want to do. I think that's, that's about only, to change. Oh, I think that is about yeah, to change. Yeah, exactly. Your anonymity is about to be blown wide open. Exactly. So, I mean, I was, I was getting a like, chance to play with lots of different people, lots of different styles, and I was traveling and it was lots of fun, but I, it didn't ever occur to me that one day I'd, I'd have to... You'd be in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah. So now it's, it's, it's kind of like a learning curve to, about all that promotion. Promotion aspect. side of things, yeah, because the music business can be a very nasty, vacuous business, so you've got to be ahead of the game on that one, haven't you? And make sure you're in control of your destiny. So since the graduation, what have you been able to do this summer? I did uh, a bunch of live streams just around. It, I, did, I did, I think. You've done much the six, haven't you? Yeah. Well, one of the first ones I did was with the Alex Hitchcock. Alex mm-hmm. Hitchcock at the 606 mm-hmm. in like July, I think. In the summer. And then I did a bunch with, um, did I, I did some of like Ronnie's with Mark Kavuma mm-hmm. and I. Yeah, I did a bunch of that. But also a big thing that kind of kept me going was I was I've been playing with a pop artist called Olivia Dean and and she was really busy with with a bunch of stuff. So I was I was we had like a tour, a kind of tour anyway. Mm. And yeah, so I was busy. I was busy with a, a, a pop singer as well. That kept me busy. How different is it? I mean, obviously you're a pianist. If you can only say practice at home on a keyboard, is there a vast difference there to the touch, the the feel of the instrument to you? Yeah, a massive difference. But it only really dawned on me once the lockdown started because I think the last few years I I practiced, but I was mostly gigging more than I practiced. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of flipped, and I was doing a lot of practice from from, from around March, and I was realizing. I was kind of hitting a wall. I was like, I'm missing something. I, mean, I couldn't pinpoint it for a while. I was like, oh, it's not a real piano. So yeah, I, I was so excited to be able to play a real piano again.
up the first part of our interview with Deschanel was a track called Lullaby once again recorded live as part of the EFG London Jazz Festival in 2018 it featured Hugo Piper 
Lawrence Wilkins, Tom Potter, and on the vocals was Rosie Freighter-Taylor. And we'll have more from Deschanel in a short while's time. But next to play on the show this week, we are going back to an album that I added to my collection over Christmas, finally, from Joe Henderson, 1966, and a mode for Joe. The lineup was a typically stellar Blue Note lineup featuring Cedar Walton on the piano, Joe himself was on the uh, sax, of course, Ron Carter on bass duties, and Joe Chambers on the drums. And from that great album, we are about to listen to A Shade of Jade. Listen online, on DAB, and on smart speakers. Straight ahead, with London's leading music venue, The 606 Club. Thank you. 
now to our guest of the week, pianist Deshnal Gordon. You'll have heard him mention that he collaborates with a number of artists. Well, back in 2019, he worked alongside trumpeter Mark Vuma on his album Banger Factory. We're going to listen to the first track from that album, apart from featuring Deshnal on piano. On organ is another name that you might well recognise, a certain Mr Reuben James. Here is Dear KD.
So let's begin talking about the whole process of your award, the BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year, without doubt one of the most prestigious awards around to win. When did you first decide to put your name forward or was it somebody at Trinity that said, you know what, Deshaun, I think we should really put you forward for this. How did the process start? Was it this year or did it start last year? It was this year. So it, it was around, I mean, from March, I was just like, I had nothing to do except practice. I was just so deep into the piano, like the the most involved the piano I've been in. I think my whole life I was spending every hour of the day at the piano and just listening to jazz. And that was just because I wanted to do it. And But around June, um, my friend Zosa Cole, the previous winner. Yeah, the previous winner, yeah, sax player. He, he messaged me and, and, and said, you know, you can apply. And I, I, know, I completely forgot about the competition that it would have been this year. And I also thought I would have been too old, but I was just at the limit, um, 22. That's the cutoff so, year, is it 22? Yeah. Right, yeah. So you literally apply to somewhere on a website, you apply to the BBC, they listen to your Dems, I take it, and then get back in touch and say, yeah, we'd like to hear you. Is that the kind of the way the process works? Yeah, yeah. You send the recording, they listen to you, and, and then 25 people were chosen to be semi-finalists and they come in to do it in person. Audition. Was that in London you auditioned for the, for the judges? Yeah, that was at Bell Studios, which I think they've closed now in acting. Wow. So everything, everything's moving at such a pace, isn't it? So from 25, mm-hmm. it goes down straight to the finest, does it? Yeah, 25. And, and in the semi-finals, it was um, really happy to play with Steve Watts, who was my teacher at Trinity, which was really nice. Fantastic, yeah. And, and Rod Youngs. And, and the judges were Byron Wallen, Zoe Rahman and Tim Garland. Tim, we've had on the show. So I know you mentioned a moment ago you used live stream with Alex. Alex is going to be on the show with us uh, in a month or so's time as well. So we're trying to get all the names on. It's lovely to hear. It's a close circle, this world of jazz, isn't it, in London? We, yeah. You all kind of know everybody. So how did you decide upon the pieces that you played? Because, I mean, the, what you did with uh, uh, Haynes here was uh, so beautiful. It was the way, again, that had that tempo and flavour changes to it. Was that a, That's a Garrett piece, isn't it? Yeah. And how did did you start off with, I don't know, 10 numbers that you thought I'm going to look at and then you just whittle down? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the tunes, I think most of it was kind of worked itself out naturally. The, the Haynes hair piece, I, I really wanted to play for my final, but it never happened. So that was kind of like your graduation just in front of a few million on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. As graduations so go, then maybe I don't feel so sorry for you. Yeah, and then um, my tune, my tune, a tune I played called "Awaiting." Awaiting, yeah, it had kind of a reggae feel to it, didn't it? Yeah, I, I, I played that at the semi-finals actually, like a kind of beginning draft of it in the semi-finals, as well as one of the standout. I mean, clearly, I've watched the the whole finals, and one of the the, the standout numbers was your solo, pure piano of "Round Midnight." The, the monk number, which we've all heard a thousand and one times. But again, what you delivered in that, you've obviously, that's why I asked you early on if you were really enjoying compositionally, because that seemed to come through very, very heavily on all three numbers, but particularly I think round midnight, just you were free flowing there. And I know Orphie mentioned it, Orphie Robinson, one of the judges, how free you seem to be playing. Was it a, a special, I mean, clearly it was odd because there's only the film crew and three judges in the Cadogan Hall, which in itself is kind of odd. But did your experience there kind of just almost like a live gig that it kind of flowed itself? I think it, it definitely was odd. Like I've done a few, as I said, I've done live streams in the summer, but 
when he when he did a stream in like such a massive, prestigious, beautiful venue, mm. it, it it does feel weird because you're you're playing and you look around and it's just a bunch of camera crew and then a massive empty hall, just empty seats. So it definitely didn't feel like a gig, mm. but I did enjoy it. But it didn't feel like a gig. No, I mean, you know, when I've seen other previous years, and of course, family, friends, they're whooping and hollering. You get to the end of your solos, you get to the end of the numbers, and there's a whole amount of atmosphere, and suddenly you finish, and there's three judges looking at you, politely clapping, trying to make up for an empty Cadogan Hall. It's it's a tough gig at the moment being a musician outside of the fiscal restraints. Just actually the whole live streaming thing. I mean, how do you find that? I've spoken to a number of musicians, and I've had various feedbacks. I mean, it could be that's going to have to be your life for a little while to come yet it could be the only way that you can perform but how do you feel about the the the, the live streaming element i think in, in the beginning it was it was, a, it was a really useful tool i think around march and, and april when everything just completely shut down i think it was useful just to be able to have an outlet to play mm-hmm. but i think the danger is it's, it's, i think it's reached a point where everyone's doing it it's a bit oversaturated now i don't know what's the next step in order to keep up active audience when there's so much <laughs> at, at one time. Yeah, I mean, the, the top clubs, such as the Six and Ronnie's, have invested a whole load of money in good streaming equipment. So the camera's good, the audio's good. So at least it does capture you and the and the, the music that you're making and reflect it in a true manner. Um, where I've got, a, I suppose, a little bit washed out now is all these Facebook lives, because most times, unless it's from somebody's home studio, the sound and picture really isn't that good, and it kind of denatures the music that you're making. So I'm assuming you've you've steered clear of. I'm not. I don't think I've seen any Facebook lives with you. You're not big on. Well, as we said, you're not big on social media. Full stop. Are you? Are you I couldn't even find. You don't have a website, do you, at the moment? I don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, that because obviously, for any guest that comes on, I like to do research. The, the the worst thing you can do to a guest if they have agreed and are going to give you their time is is not to have bothered to sat and read about somebody and learn about somebody. And I was like, oh, there's no website. <laughs> there's nothing. That's what I'm saying. It's, I'm, I'm, all that stuff I, I was leaving to the the band leader of the band I would play, and now it's my turn. So. It is your turn, exactly. So, would, do you think now then, with with that title behind you, have you again, you've won it? in an odd year but do you think things will have you noticed any changes people getting in touch you saying look as and when things get back we'd like you to do xyz are you planning on your first album how are things looking for you then there's a few few like things next year like some some gigs that they've some people have offered me but not right now i don't i don't see much there hasn't been much of a a difference i can imagine like when when the world opens up more opportunities will come. But for now, I don't think people have any opportunities to really give. Like, there's nowhere open. Mm. But it, I was hoping at least that some clubs or promoters of festivals have got in touch, assuming things begin to trickle back into life. Would you be interested? And does recording, does that interest you? Or are you much more about the live situation? Yeah, I love playing live, but I definitely want to document some of my music soon. I, I think I'm hoping to maybe release, release and record just a few, just a few tracks to put out there, mm. and then so maybe an EP or something like that in twenty one. Yeah, a few tracks, maybe, but definitely twenty twenty two on the release the album. I'm saying that, but we'll see. Because <laughs> <laughs> of course, you have also been working with your trio, haven't you? Yeah, that was gigging game, and the trio comprises of you, obviously, and the, the yeah. other two. Will Cleesby on drums and Will Satch on bass. And were they uh, colleagues that you met whilst at Trinity? Um, well, yeah, Will, Will Cleesby was two years above me, mm-hmm. but we, we, 
we musically met each other through playing in the Banger Factory with Mark Kavuma. Mm-hmm. We both in that band. And Will Sasha, I just always see him around. Around on the he's scene. But yeah, he's around. And I know you, we've sort of talked compositionally. Are you going to use this period of time for getting some writing done? For I assume you'd like the album to mainly be your own compositions, maybe with the odd cover here and there. But So you're going to use this time to, to write, do you think? Yeah, yeah, I've got, I think I have a lot of ideas that I haven't really developed yet. So I'm using this chance to, to work on some of those. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it clearly is an exciting time for you. So to take advantage of that and to come out with a bang and, you know, then breakthrough with a great album is clearly the the way forward for you i'm not trying to be your promoter here by the way i'm not i'm not i'm not working towards being management i promise you this isn't a pitch <laughs> but it'd just be a shame not to use that unique handle that you've got of just having won that huge award and not be able to you know use it to true advantage and in some respects it's a shame you've won it this year but it's always a good thing and things are going to come back to life and that can never ever be taken away from you can it yeah, yeah i hope so <laughs> so i'm assuming your mum and dad were pretty happy with the result as well then I think most people are more happy than me. I don't know if you saw it. I did. (laughs) (laughs) So is that totally live? When we saw the way it was recorded, you didn't know ahead of time. You played all of you played the pieces. Oh, so I knew ahead of time. We recorded it a week before. Oh, so you had to keep quiet for a week. Yeah. And on that day when you recorded it ahead of time, there's five of you, weren't there, in the finals? Mm-hmm. And so you all played your pieces, and I'm assuming part of it is you have to all, all present one of your own compositions, correct? Like you did a waiting, yeah. And then the judges then just disappeared. The three judges disappeared because uh, it was Guy Orphy and Nabaya Garcia, wasn't it? Were the judges? Yeah, yeah. So they just disappear, leave you in the nervous green room, and then they come back with the results. So obviously you guys didn't know until then. Yeah, so we we only we as you, it wasn't live, but as you saw it, that's how we found out. That's how you found out, yeah, because you seemed. Shocked. <laughs> yeah. Probably the quietest guy on stage was the winner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think they had to actually encourage you to go and pick up your trophy, didn't they? <laughs> I completely forgot about it. It's very funny to watch back. <laughs> <laughs> have you got the trophy at home? Have you got it good and safe? Has it got yeah, quite a place? Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So, I mean, I know that you said you haven't got uh, a website yet, but presumably that's something else you're going to be working on because I think it's fair to say you are going to be in the limelight now. It's going to be you front and centre, like it or not, Daniel, it's, um, your name's going to be on the gig. So you have got uh, an Insta page, which is the Shaniel underscore G. I can't believe anyone got to that name before you, surely. <laughs> they did. They really? Did. Someone else with my name exists. I can't believe it. That is an unfortunate stroke of bad luck. And you're simply Daniel Gordon on Facebook. So you are out there, but I think getting your social media up as the, the gigs begin to come in is going to be a big part of it. Because clearly that is another massive part of a musician's armoury these days, isn't it? To make sure you're seen, to make sure you're constantly in everybody's focus. And to some degree, people like to know what you're up to. And I think for you right now, particularly as young musicians looking at you as their inspiration, for them to see what you're up to, you know, maybe training room shots and so on, could be a really interesting thing because you can be a real inspiration for the next generation coming on behind you yeah yeah thank you well yeah I, I need to really start getting into all that I'm just naturally not that type of person no I know it comes I, across it, that you're not a person that wants to be in the spotlight you just happen to be amazingly talented and things are going to come your way and and your style do you you said that there's other th- things you want to progress to so like with most musicians I assume that you feel that you're still in the making that this is not the finished product there's still more to give more to learn other styles you can develop yeah, for sure. I, I think almost every day is a, a chance for me to learn something new. So I'm just, I'm just at this point, I just want to play with more people and, and just develop yeah, in all aspects. We need that London scene to open up once again, don't we? We really do. 
Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. to it. So, I mean, if people have got access to Sky, it, uh, it's still on there on the archives. I'm sure on the BBC iPlayer that the BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year, the programme is still on there. And I would encourage you to go and watch because you'll see what we're talking about with the numbers that you performed in the final. Performance nerves, has that ever been anything for you? I mean, you looked very in control that night, very, very in control. I think I, I do get nervous, but most of my nerves is before I'm at the piano, I think. Yeah, so that's how you express yourself behind the piano, a, a new life comes into you. Yeah. So often away with performers. And it's odd how many performers are actually away from the bandstand, actually quite shy people, and come to life when it's showtime. Yeah, yeah. And I know you were mentioning on, on the programme how you've really missed just being able to play with musicians. And, you know, part of you, you were saying part of the great thing that night, you were able just to sit down and have a gig with some great musicians. That was a fantastic band you were playing with as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, those Mondaysi brothers. Are I was just special. going to say, those brothers were special, weren't they? Yeah. And they were so smiley. <laughs> How much time did you get to work with them before the show? Because obviously you, you tell them what pieces you're playing, I take it. Yeah. It's quite quick. It's, it's just a two days and an hour each, each day. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, obviously guys of that experience can take, and they're standard, so apart from your original, clearly. So they're going to know them, but then obviously they want to make you shine, don't they? Make you have the songs played the way you want them played to display you at your best. So, yeah, I say people really need to go and watch that performance because it was really special. And uh, I think, to be honest, you were the winner head and tails, in my opinion. So I really liked the way you performed and the, the, the melody. I, say it was, I think it was the, the soul and expression that came through for me. No musician, but uh, watching as a, somebody as a jazz lover. That's what really came through to me. There was, a, there was a soul burning inside of you. And so I can't wait to hear some of your more original compositions because I think there's going to be a great sound coming out of you. So, Daniel, I can only thank you for being on the show. I hope that things begin to get back to normal for you and that uh, we can once again see you on stage performing and not just live streaming have you got anything planned for january at the moment or not really i mean i'm, I'm playing at ronnie's with um rachel coring on on monday okay with her band yep and that's pretty much the only gig in the calendar on your diary at the moment is it literally the only gig <laughs> well i guess the only thing you can say is that january is never a good month for musicians so let's let's forget january that's kind of normal anyway <laughs> let's hope yeah. february that things begin to get back to some sort of normality for you huh? yeah i hope i really hope oh it's been wonderful having you on the show particularly on the back of that wonderful uh award that you, were, you know, won at the end of this of, of this year we're recording this on the very last day of 2020 i just got you in so <laughs> I hope you're going to have some nice, quiet time tonight before you get into the, the champagne celebrations. And uh, I can only thank you for spending some time with us on Straight Ahead. Daniel, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much indeed.
as I mentioned at the start of the show, if you haven't yet watched the BBC's Young Jazz Musician of the Year finals, it's still available on BBC's iPlayer on catch-up, and you can see the man that we've had on the show this week in action. And Deshnal, many congratulations on winning that hugely prestigious title. I'm sure it's going to be the first of many awards coming your way. Next on the show this week is saxman Brandon Allen. Australian-born, of course, but we've now kind of uh, adopted him in the UK and a regular down at the club, and here he is with pure imagination. Straight ahead with David Lewis.
So last year, Nubaya Garcia released a critically acclaimed album called Source. And it's a great album if you haven't checked it out yet. Again, it's available on all the normal platforms. The track we're about to play was inspired by a book that she read by a US musician. The uh, book was called The Inner Game of Music. And the whole track, which is called Inner Game, is about the inner fight that can sometimes happen within us.
new Bio Garcia from uh, album of 2020 source and we just listened to Inner Games. Don't forget when you've got a couple of spare moments and a cup of coffee in hand, go over to the website 606club.co.uk and you can read uh, more details on the live streams that we've got coming your way this weekend. First of all, on Saturday the 9th, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, James Davis and the Trumps are along with trombonist Callum Al. And then on Sunday, the vocalist with which we open the show this week, Cat Eaton. And uh, once you've created yourself that account, it will be there for good. So all you have to do each time is just pay a small fee to watch the artists that we're streaming from the club in the comfort of your own home. Now, it seems way, way, way too long since we've played one of my favourite vocalists on the show. She's been on the show with us a couple of times. I'm talking, of course, of Sara Dowling. This is going back to an album of just a few years ago. I love this version. Sara singing Lush Life. I used to visit all the very gay places Those come what may places where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life to get the feel of life in jazz and cocktails. The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces with distant gay traces that used to be there you could see that they've been washed away by too many through the day twelve o'clock tales then you came along with your siren song to tempt me with madness I thought for a while that your poignant smile was tinged with a sadness of a great love for me ah but yes i was wrong again i was wrong is lonely again and only last year everything seems so sure now life is awful again a truffle of heart could only be Lonely to 
live a lost life in some small diamond there there I'll be while I rot with the rest of those whose lives And from memory, Sarah was one of the very first guests we had on this current series of interviews last March, believe it or not. I decided to pick up the phone and Sarah was gracious enough to come on and have a chat with us and maybe marking the year's anniversary because it looks like these interviews are going to be carrying on for some time. We might get Sarah back on and see what she's been up to in this rather long and enforced layoff. Oh, I hope live music comes back soon. I am missing going to gigs so much as I'm sure you are too. Many thanks indeed to our guest for the week, Deshanel Gordon. And don't forget, if you've not yet watched his performance on the BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year, go and grab it from the BBC's iPlayer. It's there on Catch Up. It's a great watch. I know you're going to enjoy it if you love your jazz. And we'll be back next week with another two hours of great music and a very special guest. Can't tell you any more yet, but it's a, a guest you're not going to want to miss. A bass player, I do believe. And so to our final track of this week, it's uh, from Jismia Horn. I said we were going to play something from her. Going back to her album, A Social Call, I thought we'd finish out with the track East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Many thanks indeed for your company. And don't forget, with things changing at such a pace, I suggest you go and look at the website 606club.co.uk just to make sure you're up to date with all of the live streams that we're going to be bringing you each and every week. Thanks to your company, and I'll see you next week.